Jesus. Praise you for your surrounding love. Praise you, we're never separated from it. And Lord, in these moments now, together as we listen to your word, would you help us again, Holy Spirit? Help us to not just be hearers of your word. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, to actually do it and implement it and see the, the wonderful, beautiful work of your word in our lives. We ask this for Jesus in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus another shout. Thank our musicians. Isn't it great to see Kath Cullen today singing? Come on, let's encourage Kath. Wonderful. Are you having a good week? Yeah, good week. Well, do you know whether we're having a good week or a challenging week, the great thing is, is that Jesus is for us. And the Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He's, he's with us. He really is. And isn't it wonderful just to be together, you know? We have made a decision this morning to come to this place. And as a result of that, Jesus is among us. He knows our needs. He knows where all of us are at, and we're all at different stages, different places in life, but he doesn't judge us or condemn us or criticize us, as some people would think. You know, some people think that God's like that. They think that he's, he's like, you know, some kind of strict inspector looking at every area of our lives and analyzing it and criticizing us, and being judgmental. No, you know, the Bible tells us so clearly that God loves us. He's hopelessly in love with us. He really is. And He wants, He always wants the best for us. Now, last week we began to look at this, this subject of vision, and we're going to continue today looking at that, and we're going to take it in kind of a different direction, still looking at vision and speaking about it. But we're going to be talking today about God's vision for our lives. Do you know that God's got a vision for your life? Maybe that's news to you. Maybe you've never thought about God having a vision, a picture, great thoughts about you. But the Bible's very clear when it comes to this. God has an amazing vision for each one of our lives, even though we may find that hard to believe, even though we may struggle with that, even though, you know, thoughts may come up in our mind to actually challenge that and say, do you know what? No, God hasn't got a vision for me. Look at where I've been. Look what I've done. Look what I've been through. No, I want to I wanna challenge that thinking today. God's got a beautiful picture for your life. He's got, he's got energy. He's got life. He's got, he's got power. And he wants to utilize it for our disposal to, to make our lives beautiful. In fact, the Bible says that when our when our lives are reduced to ashes by circumstance and crisis, it's God that takes the ashes of our lives and makes them beautiful. It's only God that can take ash, the ash of life, 
that's, that's been reduced to nothing and, and bring, bring beauty to it. That's the one that we serve and in whose presence we are today. He's amazing. He's wonderful. He's got a vision for your life. And when we look at this, this subject of vision in relation to our lives, we have to be aware of two very important things that want to work against this vision. Firstly, there's an external world around us. It's called life. And that external world around us very often wants to hinder us in walking into God's vision for our lives. Maybe people around us want to hold us back and hinder us. External factors want to oppose you and stop you and hinder you from entering into what God has in his heart for you, his vision. And you see this throughout the Bible. People, men and women alike, finding out that God had a vision for their life for the first time and then all of the external world around them coming to oppose that wonderful, beautiful plan that God wants to unfold in them. We have to be aware of an external world around us that wants to hinder us from going into what God has for us. Not only is there an external world around you that wants to hinder you, there's also an internal world within you. And this can sometimes be the greatest challenge, the greatest work, the external world, the internal world within us that rises up and says, no, that can't be true. You don't know what, where I've been and what I've done. My experience of past life declares, God, you can't do something new in me. Maybe today, just at the beginning moments of this message, your heart is saying to you, Maybe that's true for everybody else, but it can't be true for me. There's an internal world within us that can be our greatest opponent. But you know what? Love can even overcome that internal giant and bring you on through into everything he's got for you. He's done it for me many times. When the giant stands up, inside me and says, God, I don't believe what you're saying about my life. Suddenly, that giant gets defeated, not by force and not by anger, but just by what it gets washed away by the love and the embrace of God. And suddenly you're brought into new things in your life just because he's good. That's what his love does. There's external factors that want to stop you and hinder you from entering into God, into what God has for you. There's an internal world within you very often that will rise up against God. But God in his goodness, God in his love will overcome those things. You know, you may be here today and you may, you may say this. And I heard this when I was just on the front row, just, just in our time together. There are some here today that, that are saying, 
Dave, it's too late for me. If I had my time again, it would be okay. But too much water has gone under the bridge. I've made too many mistakes. I'm disqualified. You know what God says to you? And this is just for you, you little tinker. Just for you. Hot off the press. This is what God says to somebody that would say, it's just too late for me. I give up. This is what God says to you. Behold, I'll do a new thing. Suddenly it'll come forth. It won't be anything like you've ever known. Don't even refer to the former things because I'm going to do a brand new thing and it's going to begin right in the heart of you. And then he goes on to say, you know, your latter days will be far greater than your former. And then if you don't get it on that on, on, on that part, he goes on to say, I will restore the years that the locusts have devoured. Because that's the kind of God he is. He picks us up at various ages, various stages of life, and he just jumps on in and he says, I'll take over from here. You may be right at the beginning of your life and he takes hold of you then. You might be coming to the closing periods of your life, but because God is so good, brilliant, and exceptional, he'll take us at any stage and any age of life and he'll do a wonderful, beautiful work why? Because he loves us. He loves us. I think we should give him praise, church. He's amazing. He's wonderful that he would take broken things like you and me and value them and love them and not, you know, count all of the things we've done wrong. My goodness, if we counted all them, we'd all run out the door. We would and we'd never come back again. But God, do you know what God says? He says, as far as the east is from the west, I remember your sins no more. I don't want to know about your sins. I don't want to know about your failings. I'm in love with you. Let's not talk about all of those things that, that have brought you down and you feel bad about. Let's talk about all of the good new things that I'm going to do inside of you. He's awesome. Do you know there's an amazing story about a sculptor, artist called Michelangelo. You probably heard his name. And he was a brilliant man. And he was approached by the, the, the consul of Florence to create a sculpture. And they took him into the cathedral where a huge block of marble lay. They wanted him to create the statue of David. That block of marble had, had lay in the courtyard of the cathedral for 25 years. It had been weathered and it, it had been rejected by three other sculptors. One of them being Leonardo da Vinci. And the three other sculptors that had examined that block of marble in that courtyard rejected it for these reasons. There were too many flaws and imperfections in the marble. But Michelangelo, as he looked at it, was enthusiastic about the commission and he accepted it. And later he would say, I saw an angel trapped in the marble 
that I wanted to use all of my skill, all of my life, all of my energy to set free. He went to work on that marble for two whole years, over two years, day and night in all weathers, sometimes sleeping in his clothes, working tirelessly to set free the angel that was trapped inside the marble. After two years, he unveiled this beautiful, amazing sculpture, the statue of David, still the world's most renowned sculpture. A beautiful work, the, the statue of David. Why? Why? Because he saw beyond the flaws. He saw beyond the imperfections that were many. He saw something of potential that was trapped inside that block of marble. Now, if a man can look at a block of marble full of imperfections and see beauty in it, what can God do with the material of our lives? That's the question. If, if, if a man can have a vision and a purpose and make something that's invisible visible with the skills of his hand, what can God do who is the creator of the universe, who through the heavens in its place and the stars and all of the, the planets put them in their place, what can God do with our lives? God does not come as an external critic. God does not come as an external critic. God does not take any notice of even all of the internal criticisms that we have of ourselves. He comes and he delivers his word. He comes with his word and he wants to envision us. He wants us to believe all of the, all of the wonderful things that he speaks to us. And he wants them to actually become our position of life. The Bible is not a fairy tale. The Bible is living. The, the, the Bible can actually be active in your life, operating to make everything that God has declared a reality. David, King David... was an amazing king. He took the nation of Israel to amazing places. He, he, he brought great prosperity and great victory to God's people. However, just like the block of marble that My Michelangelo had to work with, just like the block of marble that had been rejected by others, David began his young life in rejection. He was rejected by man. He was rejected and judged by an external world around him that didn't believe that God had anything for him. I'm going to read to you from 1 Samuel chapter 16. And here we're going to see a very real external world, David's family. We're going to see an external world that didn't place any hope for him to go anywhere or do anything. But God very often accepts what we reject. 
David, just to give you some background around the scripture that we're about to read in 1 Samuel chapter 16. David was out in the field looking after sheep. That was a despised vocation. That was the lowest of the low. Nobody really got anywhere or went anywhere as a result of being a shepherd. It was, it was despised by everybody. And there he was on this day, just looking after sheep, just being faithful. And Jesse, David's father, had a call from a very important man in the nation, a bit like a prime minister, the prophet Samuel. And Samuel had been instructed by God to go to David's house or to go to Jesse's house and choose the next king. So Jesse, David's father, lines up all his sons except David. David is, gets left out in the field. He's, he's got seven brothers. They all get lined up because, you know, they're the blue-eyed boys of Jesse. And they, they, they get lined up in the living room for the prophet to come and inspect them. David is out on the fringes. Nobody really has any high hopes for David. His father doesn't really even believe that he's going to go anywhere beyond that, that role of shepherd. But God has different plans. Let me read to you 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, and then verse 10 to verse 13. Samuel standing in front of the, one of the sons. That's where we pick it up. And the Lord's about to reject him. Samuel thinks that God's going to accept him. It says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. I've rejected him. Samuel's ready to appoint one of the sons and anoint him as the next king of Israel. And God's just jumping in and say, saying, Samuel, your judgment is skewed. You're making your decision based on what you can see. But I'm looking beyond what you can see right into the internal world of this man. And I'm refusing him to be king. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks... At the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, Jesse said, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is. There he is, look, keeping sheep. God wouldn't want him. There's the, you know, there's the block of marble with all of its flaws, with all of its many imperfections. We wouldn't want to bring him, him in here, would we? You don't want him. He's the reject. He's the runt of the family. He's got no future. He hasn't been schooled. As a soldier, he's just, you know, the rent of the family. Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him. 
for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy or red and bright-eyed and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now, the picture is clear, very clear. God has a purpose for a young man that's in the backside of the field, just looking after sheep, doing the most menial of tasks. And there's many external factors around this young man that want to keep him out of God's purpose and vision for his life. But God turns it all around by rejecting the seven sons that had been lined up by Jesse to get, you know, the, the position as king. And he brings this young lad on in and he anoints him and his destiny begins. No matter what external factors surround us, if we will keep our heart right with God, if we will keep our heart towards him, and keep our lives in line with what he's declaring over us. No matter what external things come against you and try to hinder God's purpose and life coming through you, it will not succeed. It won't. It won't succeed. There are so, so many things that try to hinder and interrupt and close down God's vision for your life. But I'm telling you now, just go on through them. Keep your faith in him. Keep your trust in him. Looking unto Jesus, the Bible says. Keep your eyes, your vision focused on him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. I'm telling you now, he hasn't just begun a good work. He will perform a good work and he will complete the good work within you. He's the author and the finisher of everything that he's prescribed for your life and my life and my goodness me. It's huge. The picture's wonderful. The picture's glorious. The Bible says through faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. And initially when you start to begin to understand that God has a beautiful picture for your life, that God wants to do something marvelous in your life, you embrace it by faith. And you say, yes. And then you realize that you're on a journey of patience for this work and this word to be unfolded within you. See, the purposes of God, the plan of God, the picture that God has for your life, it's not some kind of microwavable meal that you throw it in, close the door, set the timer to 30 seconds, and then bing! you get a full-cooked dinner. It's not like that. Microwavable meals, they're good. They have their, you know, they, 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 they have their purpose. But your life in God is not like a microwavable meal. He takes time because He loves you. He focuses on every detail. And that faith 
that's in your heart and that trust that says, yes, I believe everything that you have for me is good. I believe these promises that you've spoken over me are mine. Then it takes patience for the master, the master to sculpt, for the master to take that big block of marble that has no shape, that is full of flaws on the Outside, it takes time for the master sculptor, creator, to go to work and release the potential, to pull out the person that you don't even know exists and nobody else knows exists. It's God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure, the Bible says. It's God that works in you. There's an amazing scripture in Ephesians chapter 2. And really this is again a beautiful scene. And it's like, you know, God turns up on the building site of our lives. And he sees all the rubble and all of the wreckage. And it's amazing because what Paul describes is not God coming onto the building site of our lives where there's rubble and and, and, and brokenness and destruction. God doesn't walk on to the scene of our life and start saying, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. I wouldn't have made that choice. Look at the consequences you're facing because of the decisions that you made years ago. Ha ha, you've got to sort this out, haven't you? No, God comes onto the building site of our lives. He sees all the rubble, all the mess, all, all, the, all the destruction and all the death. And he begins to do something. He's described in Ephesians 2 as the master workman. The master workman. Paul sees him as the master workman. Where there is death, he brings life. Where there is brokenness, he brings wholeness. And he actually takes us from that prostrate position where we're laying in our sin, unable to do something. And he raises us up together in Christ Jesus and seats us in heavenly places. And that's the ultimate position, our eternal place in heaven. And then Paul goes from the eternal place where we are seated and he comes down, down onto the earth. And he says, you're the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. Because whilst God has done an ultimate work in seating us in Christ that we can never be removed from, he's here on the, on the building site of our lives, working and crafting and making us his masterpiece. His work's not over, over in you, church. His work is but begun. But I tell you something now, wake up to this fact. He's going to complete it and he's going to do a beautiful thing. Sounded like Donald Trump then. <laughs> a beautiful thing. We're going to make America beautiful. I tell you what, if I had his hair, I'd be an happy man. I don't want his money, I just want his hair. I tell you, Faye would be happy. <laughs> Big quiff. Woohoo! <laughs> Ephesians. Chapter 2, let's read it. Get your mind off Donald Trump now, you little tinkers. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 10 says this. But God, who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy, that's how he walks onto the building site of our life. Rich in mercy. Mercy flowing and dripping everywhere. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. That's talking about where he has placed us in eternity on beyond this world. We're not there yet, but we are there. We're not there, but we are there. You've got nothing to worry about when it comes to the moment when, we've, when, we, when we leave this earth. Because we are already where we need to be in him. He raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Here we go, here we go. For we are the workmanship or the masterpiece of God, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us, to walk in. Amen. An external world around us wants to hinder you. You feel the pressure of it. You feel the conflict of an old nature trying to. You feel it. But it's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives within me. We've crucified that old nature that would try and rise up and resist. An external world around us. Let's think for a moment in the closing moments now of this service. I can ask James to come. Just for the moments we have, let's think about the internal world, the internal battle, the internal, the internal struggles. Very often, that would oppose this wonderful plan, this wonderful picture that God wants to display in you and me. Think about Moses. Moses. He's 80 years of age. A lot of things have happened. And I'm sure he was at a place, at a point in his life where he said, Listen, you're going to have to raise somebody else up because I'm done. 80 years, he'd failed. He had a huge past against him and he was hiding out in a wilderness. But God knew where he was. And God turns up. I mean, this is every time we read this and think about this, you just see the nature of of God. God never gives up on a person. God never lets them go. Moses forgot 
what God had called him to do as a young man, but God hadn't forgot it. And God wasn't going to let it go, even though Moses had let it go a long time ago. God turns up and he speaks to Moses in a burning bush. And he says, I want you to go to my people. Now's the time, Moses. I need you to go for me. You're going to set them free. You're going to bring a great victory, the greatest victory that's ever been seen. I'm going to set free all of my people that have been enslaved for 480 years. You're going to get them through a Red Sea. There's going to be amazing things. Your eyes are going to see amazing things. I'm calling you to do this. And do you know what Moses says? He doesn't say, yeah, I'm the man for the job. Do you know what he says? Who am I? Who am I? Do you know what that is? That's an internal world rising up against God, saying, God, no, I am sorry. I hear what you're saying, but I'm not the man. Do you know what God did? He didn't answer Moses as to who he was. Thank God for that. He didn't tell Moses who he was. He doesn't tell you who you are. He just says, I am that I am. Moses, take your eyes off yourself and begin to look at me. Church, it's wonderful. We don't have to look at ourselves and all of the things that's disqualified us. Just keep your eyes on Jesus. Paul said this, forgetting the things that are behind Pressing ahead, pressing on to attain and to achieve all of the things that we've been called towards. As Moses started to take his eyes off himself, put his eyes on God, he went back to Egypt and he set those people free and he got them through the wilderness for 40 years and saw miracle after miracle after miracle. Why? Because he stopped looking at all of the reasons why he couldn't and he began to look at the God who could. He put his faith in him. He listened to what God said. Yes, it was hard. Yes, there was a struggle. Yes, he didn't want to do it. Yes, he believed the report, the inner report within himself that said, Moses, you're never going to rise from this moment. But God in His goodness and in His grace took up the wreckage of Moses' life. Says, Moses, you can't do it on your own, but you can do it with me. Oh, there's been many in the Bible. That's why I love it. There's been so many in the Bible that have had this internal world that's risen up against God and said, we can't do it. We'll never do it. You don't know who we've been or what I've become. Gideon was another one. You know his story. He's hiding in a hole, afraid, and God turns up. And the words, I mean, it's, I mean, it's genius. It's absolutely, I love it. He says, now this, this is the opening statement to a man that's been hiding in a hole fearing for his life. Good morning, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. You mighty man of victory. Gideon looks, right? 
And he begins to argue with the angel of God. This inner world within him rises up. And there's, you read it when you go home, there's over five challenges that Gideon makes in the face of God to say, I can't do it, I won't do it. And all God says to him is, listen, you don't really know who you are and who I've made you and, about, and, and you don't really know what's about to happen. Now go in your strength. And off he goes and God just works it out. God works it out. Job said, I'm a vile man. Have you ever looked at your life and thought about what your life has been involved in and looked over it and said, do you know what? That's just vile. Everything I've done, everything I've achieved. I'm a vile man. Job said it. I'm a vile man. God didn't see him as a vile man. He said to Satan, have you considered my, my servant Job? There's nobody like him in all of the earth, but Job had an interpretation about his life. I am vile, and he couldn't get beyond it. And he went through his sufferings. He went through his struggles. But at the end of it, you know what? God didn't see a vile man. God blessed Job more in his latter days than in his former days. God restored all the fortunes of Job because God is good. He doesn't look at any one of us as vile. Precious, beloved, children of the king. David, the wonderful young man that God took, became king and had his struggles and went through his difficulties and all kinds of complications occurred to hinder him to be the man that God wanted him to be. And on one occasion in despair, David said, I'm a worm. You can't get any lower than that. I'm a worm. And he meant it. You know, the Bible gives us insight into moments in people's lives where there's desperation. Where that just really comes out of the heart. An internal war. An internal struggle that rises up against all of the promises made by God. God didn't see David as a worm. God said to David, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. All of your days are written in my book before there was any of them, David. Oh my God, he's incredible. He's wonderful. He's beyond knowing. He is the font of all wisdom. And we are his children. And he prizes us and he looks after us and his visions and his thoughts for us. He told David of them. He said, my thoughts for you, David, are so many that if you were to try and calculate them, if you were to try and number them, they would be far more than all of the grain particles on the sand of the seashore. That's a God that thinks about you. That's a God that loves you. That's a God that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Why? It's a vision for your life, for my life. The prodigal. This isn't just a New Testament thing. 
an Old Testament thing. This is much as much as a, of a New Testament thing as it is an Old Testament. The prodigal came home, a life full of shame. He'd been sleeping with prostitutes. He'd wasted all of his, all of his father's inheritance that his father had trusted him with. He ended up living in a pigsty. And now he's coming home. And this is the confession of his mouth. I am no more worthy. I'm not even worthy to be a son anymore. Maybe I could be the lowest of the low. Maybe I could just be a servant. It's better than, than being in a pigsty. But if I get rejected, that's just my dues. I just accept that. And on he went. Little did he know that the father had been watching every day. Little did he know that, that his father knew that one day he would return. And as his silhouette came over the horizon, the father, the Bible tells us, runs to meet this son that was full of shame, this son that, that, that had destroyed his life in many ways. And the father wrapped his arms around him. And the original language, the, the, our Bibles doesn't portray this picture, but the original language says, the father smothered him with kisses. Smothered him with kisses. No longer worthy, he came home saying. Get a robe for this boy of mine. Put a ring on his finger sandals on his feet and kill the fatted calf and the music started and the sun was restored because that is what God does. That's his heart. I tell you now, nothing can separate us from his love. Not our sin, not our failure, not our rejections. An internal world that says, I am no longer worthy was immediately wiped away by the goodness and the kindness of a loving heart. The Father, He's restored. Peter, quiet moment in a boat. <laughs> Miracle happens. He pulls up nets, breaking with fish. Jesus had commanded it. And in a moment, Peter feels afraid. He can't come into this kind of life that Jesus is demonstrating. He can't come into this kind of dimension that Jesus is walking in. He just can't accept the fact that Jesus is so good. And he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. I just can't be around you. Jesus wasn't going anywhere. And he said, hey boy, by the time I'm finished with you, you're going to be winning men for me. You're not going to be referring to yourself as a sinful man. You're not going to be looking back to your past. There's going to be a living word, fresh vision, picture inside you that's going to so engulf your mind that you're going to be walking with me, Peter, the man that said, I am a sinful man, depart from me, said these words. 
in the book of Peter, many years later, chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, he was encouraging people like you and me. He said this, as his divine power has given us everything, all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The man, the man that said, depart from me, I am a sinful man, became the man that became a partaker of the divine nature through the exceedingly great and precious promises resident in his heart by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, God has a vision for us. A vision for your life. It's a beautiful, beautiful painting that only the artist can color. And this painting, this picture has many, many different shades to it. It has its bright elements. It has its dark elements. And as the master painter paints your picture of your life, you may only be noticing those dark areas. But every single detail of this picture goes into his grand design called your life and my life. I'm going to ask for our eyes to be closed. I'm going to pray for you right now. And then Faye is going to lead you in a prayer if you want to ask Jesus into your heart. I'm going to ask the musicians to come just quietly. Today you may look at your life and say, Lord, it's just full of flaws. People have reminded me about those flaws those failings, those imperfections, and I'm well aware of them. You may have said, what can you do with this block of marble called my life? Or today you may have felt the rejection of an external world telling you, listen, give up on God. He's got no plan or purpose for you. You've been hanging around in this now for too long. Nothing's going to go forward, no. God's encouraging you today. Or you may have said, it's too late for me. We've all said that at some point. We've all looked back on our past and said, oh man, if I had my time over, but I can't have my time over. There's no replays and everything's set. My life is a failure. No, your life's not a failure. Your, 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 your latter days are going to be far greater than your former He's going to restore all the years that the locusts have eaten. Maybe today you've just got to say, yes, yes, I believe it. I can't see how you're going to do it, but I believe it. I believe you're talking to me. Something's going to begin within you. It's going to begin within you. And it's going to counter all of those external forces that are trying to keep you out of what God has for you. Or there may be an internal, an internal argument inside God, you can't do it. God, you won't do it. It's too late for me. Who am I? Like Moses said, 
Or you might be like Gideon hiding in a hole. My family's the least in the nation and I'm the least in my family. I'm no good. No, God comes to you and he's not going to give up on you. You might be like Peter. Oh, I'm just a sinful man. Well, you're in the company of people that have all said that. We're all sinful, but grace and love and mercy and God's goodness and compassion wipes away and washes that sin away. Father, I pray for your people. I pray for your people. You said where there is no vision, the people perish. But Lord, I thank you. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we are going to have envisioning experiences. Lord, we are going to have encounters. It's not the words of a man that can envision us. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit leading us into all truth. It's the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the one that never gives up on us, the one that never fails us or forsakes us. It's not the words of a man or a woman that can do anything in our lives. It's the power and the love and the presence of God. And Lord, we thank you. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. I pray Pray, Holy Spirit, that the eyes of our mind and imagination would be enlightened. That we would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. I ask this and I pray over your people. We are not, we are not going to perish. Because our eyes are enlightened by you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You know, you may be in here today, and you've heard Dave talk about, and you've heard us sing about Jesus. And you may be in here, and you say, do you know what? I didn't even know that Jesus loved me and wanted to have a relationship, a friendship with me. You know, the Bible says, and you may be familiar with this scripture, in John 3:16 it says for God so loved the world he so loved you and I that he gave his only son Jesus that whoever believes in him wouldn't die wouldn't perish but he'd have everlasting eternal life you may be in this place today and you have questions unanswered questions about where you would go when our lives finish and we pass into a new realm. Well, I want to be here today to let you know that Jesus, he wants you. Jesus would love to have a relationship with you. He wants to help like a captain of a ship. He wants to be there with you to help steer your life on a course that's going to be full of goodness. He doesn't want you to be floundering in an open sea but he wants to help guide each one of us. And if you're in this place today and you say, do you know what? I need hope. I need relationship. I need relationship with a savior. I've got a gaping hole inside of my heart and I've tried filling it with relationships. I've tried filling it with things. I've tried buying things. I've tried experiencing things. You may have tried alcohol and drugs, but still that gaping hole is there then today it would be my privilege to introduce you 
to my best friend, Jesus. Right now, I'm just going to ask everybody to shut their eyes. And if you're in this place right now and you say, I need Jesus, then do you know what? He's just a simple prayer away. So if you're here and you say, I need, I need a relationship with Jesus, then why don't you just repeat these words after me? Say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to come into life, my life, to bring wholeness to it. I admit, I recognize that I've done wrong things. I've sinned and I need a savior. Please, Jesus, come and help me in my life. You know, if you've prayed that prayer, then with every eye shut right now, if you want to lift your hands, we just want to give a Bible to you. And you know, today our encouragement for you, to you would be, just keep coming back. Just keep coming back to church. Just keep coming back. He wants to piece your life back together and make it a beautiful, beautiful tapestry. So right now, today, if you want a Bible, maybe after I've, you've, I've done this, maybe you say, oh, I'm not sure. At the end, there's going to be somebody stood and they're going to have Bibles and you are welcome to have one of these. It's a gift from us to you today. So be blessed with that. So